Um, well, Dr. Jones has graciously offered to serve as our scripture reader this morning, so I'll hand the mic back to him one more time. All right, our scripture reading will come from Genesis 2, 1 through 3, and it reads, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all of the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Dr. Jones, and good morning. Welcome again to the Brookside Campus of Christ Community. My name is Bill Gorman. I'm the campus pastor here and really glad to see each one of you here this morning, especially those of you who are uh, visiting from other campuses for Jazz Sunday. Thanks for coming and being part of this with us on these fifth Sundays. As we continue in worship together here on Sunday, let me uh, just pause and pray for this time of looking together at God's Word and ask Him to be at work um, helping us in the midst of this. So Father in heaven, we're so thankful that you have spoken words of rest and blessing uh, over us as your creation. And I pray that as we look at these verses in Genesis chapter 2, that you would uh, speak to us afresh this morning. In Jesus' name, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Well, I recently read an article about a new religion uh, that is taking hold in certain uh, circles in America, and, and it's spreading rapidly, uh, particularly among younger college-educated men and women. And it, you know, it doesn't have anything to do with reincarnation or crystals or anything like that, but its temples are everywhere. And staff writer at The Atlantic, Derek Thompson, introduces us to it in an article he published last month. It's called Workism. And he argues that this religion of workism is making people miserable. He calls it the gospel of work. And he makes a compelling case in the article that, that as people in the United States have, have ceased to believe in God, as belief in God has waned in the 21st century, we've not given up on our need for transcendence uh, or meaning, but we've begun to look for it in other places. So listen to what he writes here. This is so insightful. He says, the decline of traditional faith in America has coincided with an explosion of new atheisms. Some people worship beauty, some people worship political identities, others worship their children. But everybody worships something, and workism is among the most potent of the new religions competing for congregants. But what exactly is workism? Well, here's how he defines it. It's the belief that work is not only necessary to economic production, but is also the centerpiece of one's identity and life purpose. The centerpiece of one's identity and life purpose. And not only that, as, as Thompson will say later on, to be a, work, a workist is to worship a God who can fire you. And all of this adds up to one thing, that the, the great sin of workism is a day off. The, the great heresy of a workist is rest. Uh, do, do you ever struggle to take a day off? Do you, or, or as a family, uh, to take a day of rest with your kids away from activities? Uh, this article shows us just how hard it is in our culture to, that's so deeply influenced by workism to really take a day off. 
But the good news of Genesis chapter 2 is that Christians do not worship the God of workism. We worship the Creator God who on the seventh day rested. And this God who rested will never overwork you. God will never overwork you. And this morning, beginning here in Genesis chapter 2, I want to show you three reasons why that is true. Why it's true that you may overwork you, that your boss may try to overwork you, that your family or your kids or your teacher will try to overwork you, but that God will never overwork you. Why? Well, first and foremost, God will never overwork you because He Himself rested. God will never overwork you because He Himself rested. Uh, so, so let the opening words of Genesis chapter 2, let them wash over you again as I read them. And as I do that, notice the language of finishing and resting. Of finishing and resting. L- listen again. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God finished His work that He had done, and He rested And on the seventh day from all the work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. So so don't miss this here. What is the reason that God rests? Well, he doesn't rest because work is bad. He doesn't rest because he's tired. He rests because the work is finished. The work is completed, and he calls it very good. I mean, have you ever felt that sensation when when you finished a home improvement project or a paper for school, that sense of it's finished, it's complete, that sense of satisfaction, this is good, it's finally done. And Bible scholars who study these texts point out the significance of (coughs) what's happening here in this point in the text. This is the high point of the creation account. That God has created a temple for his people to live in and to worship him. And that this moment, this seventh day, is the dedication ceremony. Or maybe you've been to a dedication of a new building at some point in your life. Maybe it was a, a church or a hospital or a school. When the building was finally complete, it was ready for use. And they throw a big ceremony to announce and celebrate the completion I remember going to the, the dedication, the opening of the, the Kauffman Center for the Performing Arts in downtown. I'd watched that building be built over uh, a number of years. And then finally it was open and standing outside in the line waiting to enter into this, this beautiful building that was now completed, ready for its intended purpose. And that's what's happening here in Genesis chapter 2. God has completed all of the work of building this, this temple that is all of creation, a place for his image, human beings, male and female, to dwell with him, to worship him, to enjoy him. And on this day, God doesn't work or create. On this day, he blesses, he dedicates, he, he sets apart. That's what it, it means to make it holy. He sets it apart as different and unique, and he delights and enjoys what he's made. God made this world for us. And by us, I don't just mean you and me, us as human beings, but us and God together. He made this world for us to enjoy one another and to enjoy him in. 
You see, a temple in the ancient world was a place where God's presence would overlap with his people, where heaven and earth would overlap. That was the idea of the tabernacle, the temple. And, and, and heaven in the Bible is the language used for God's space. Earth is our space. A temple was the place where heaven and earth would overlap. Which is why the great Christian hope, by the way, is not that we will go to heaven someday when we die and stay there forever, but, but know that heaven one day is going to come and be joined to earth. That's why we pray in the Lord's Prayer, thy will be done, thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. That what one point in the future when God's work, the new creation begins and is completed, that heaven and earth will be united in one. And, and notice compared with the other days of creation, which always had this formula. There was morning and evening, the first day, the third day, so on. But there's no evening to this seventh day. It's special. It's unique. And it sets up a pattern for us. Six days of work, followed by a day of rest. This is not the God of workism. This is the God of creation who rests you see, God will never overwork you because he himself rests. He ceases from his work to enjoy it, to delight in it. And he invites you and me to join him in rest. Last week, Pastor Paul showed us that God invites us to join him in his creative work. Here he invites us to enjoy him and enjoin him in his refreshing rest. <clears throat> God has given you the gift of rest, so take it. You are made in the image of a God who rests. We often talk at Christ's community about being made in the image of a God who works and the goodness of our work. But we cannot enjoy the fullness of our humanity unless we rest. A restless life is an inhumane life. It's, it's an inhuman life. It's not a fully human life. We were made in the image of a God who rests. You can rest because he rested. You can rest because you're human. So take a day off. Rest. You are like God when you do. Have you ever thought about that? That when you sleep in on a Saturday morning or you take an afternoon nap on Sunday, that you are actually reflecting the God who rests. You're imaging him in that. Now, rest is not simply or just ceasing from work or just about sleeping or taking a nap. There's also an aspect of it that involves proactive delighting and celebrating. More on that later. But next we need to turn to the second reason that God will never overwork you. So the first reason that God will never overwork you is that he himself has rested. The second reason is that you are a creature, not a slave. God will never overwork you because you are a creature not a slave. And this is where we have to remember that Moses is writing these accounts in Genesis and the other first four books of the Bible that form what's called the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. He's writing them to a people who have been just released from slavery in Egypt for 400 years. They had spent 400 years without a regular day of rest in Egypt. They were slaves. And so when God gives the Ten Commandments in, in the book of Exodus and then later again in the book of Deuteronomy, God commands them to rest. I think it was Eugene Peterson who said that God commands us to rest because we wouldn't take a suggestion. 
But what is fascinating is you get two different sort of groundings, two different reasons for the command to rest in the Ten Commandments, one in Exodus, one in Deuteronomy. Take a look at this. First, in Exodus 20, you see we, we rest because we're creatures made in God's image. This is what we see. Take a look here. Remember, this is the Ten Commandments, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord. On it you shall, do, you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. Why? Verse 11. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. You are a creature made in God's image, and you follow the pattern, you mimic the God who you image, and, and you rest. God rested so we can rest. That's what we've just been looking at. But now compare that with Deuteronomy, where the Ten Commandments are stated a second time. And there's a different reason that's added. Same commandment, different reason. Take a look. Verse 12, Deuteronomy chapter 5. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy, as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. So far, it's pretty much the same. On it you shall do, not, shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates that your male servant and your female servant may also rest as well. Again, pretty similar. But now look at verse 15. Different reason. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. And the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep a Sabbath day. You see, you can rest because you're no longer a slave. You rest to remember that you are not a slave. The pattern of Sabbath rest is an intentional reminder given to us by God that we are not slaves to our work. Just like Israel, who had spent 400 years without a day of rest, needed an intentional reminder. A regular day of rest. We need an intentional reminder that we are not slaves to our work. We are creatures made in the image of a God who rests. Now, in Egypt, the Israelites toiled and slaved under the supreme Egyptian god, the sun god, Ra. When Ra is shining in the sky, you work. When he's up, you are up working. Seven days a week, 365 days a year, whenever Ra is shining, you are working, 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 no rest. Now, today, you and I, we don't worship, we don't worship the sun but we do, we do have another light we worship. The glow of the screens that never seem to set. Right? God, rescue us from screens that never seem to turn off. God will never overwork you because he made you a creature. He made you a creature, not a slave. You can rest because you are a creature. And when we rest, we tell a better story about God to the world and we make a better framework for flourishing for our neighbors. Because did you notice that in both of those passages, why I read them all the way through, Exodus and Deuteronomy, that everyone in the Israelite community, everyone gets to rest. Men and women, 
children, servants, immigrants, and sojourners, even the animals, get a day off. Your rest, your ceasing, your stopping is a gift to others. God has set you free. You are a creature, so stop slaving. And ask yourself, if you can't take a day off, you need to ask yourself, which God am I really worshiping? If you can't take a day off, ask yourself, which God am I really, am I really worshiping the God of Genesis 1 and 2 who rests, or am I worshiping Ra? Am I worshiping workism? Your rest lets others rest. It reminds you that you are a creature. It humanizes you. It humanizes others. It gives an example and an invitation to a restless world. As I was working on it this week, I, I began to think, I wonder if in a culture gripped by the God of workism, I wonder if one of the best evangelistic tools we actually have might be a bold rest that declares that we are not slaves to the gods of work, and you don't have to be either. Your rest isn't just about you. And in fact, if you don't rest, you actually may make others work harder, especially if you are a boss or a leader in an organization or if you set the pace for your family activity in your home. If you're a boss and you're always sending emails at 1.30 in the morning, you may justify that and say, oh, I'm, I'm, the, I'm the leader, I have to work hard and, and I have to get it done. But, but you're, you're setting the culture for your organization and your employees are going to expect that if you're sending email at 1.30 in the morning that they need to be responding and checking and doing that also. Guarding a day of rest protects the most vulnerable. And who are some of the most vulnerable people in any society? Right? Children, right? If your kids are exhausted, if they are overscheduled, if they are overprogrammed, if they are stressed out, that's not on them. That's on us as parents. God will never overwork your kids. If your children are overworked and exhausted, that's on us. Resting is a gift to your kids, to the vulnerable. So give them that gift. Okay, but how do we begin to unseat this God of workism? Well, by going back to the basics of Sabbath, the basics of rest. Uh, one of my dear friends, Matt Rustin, who is the executive director of Made to Flourish, which is a sister organization of Christ Community, is also a, a member here at the Brookside campus, uh, wrote a fantastic article responding to this piece in the Atlantic for the Gospel Coalition. And in it, Matt writes this. He says, Your idols have logged thousands of hours in your heart. So the way back will also be through practice-based training. That's exactly right. You need to develop a set of simple practices that drives the truth of the gospel and God's word into your heart. So what is a simple set of practices that we can begin? Well, let's call them the ABCDs of Sabbath. The ABCDs of Sabbath. First, A, a day. Set aside a day of rest each week. And, and for many, maybe even most of us, that will be Sunday. But if you work on Sunday occasionally or if you're, you work shift work so your schedule moves around, pick another day. And lots of us have schedules that move around because of, of work. So if it's not a consistent day, that's okay. But pick a day every seven days to rest. 
And I get that there are seasons in life when this is particularly hard, right? The early seasons when you're parenting really young kids, it seems like, man, there's just no, no rest from that. Or, or maybe if you're in a medical residency and you're working crazy hours, there's not, I can't, I can't do that. The work demands are too much. And, and again, a day is not about a legalism that turns rest into a different kind of work to earn God's favor. But let me just say, if you're in one of those seasons of intense work, just beware of how that is forming you and return to a regular full day of rest as soon as you possibly can. Don't give up on that. Even if it's not possible in the season, don't give up on it. Return to it as soon as you can. Second, be still. Be still and know God. Remember that God has it all. Remember that He's the one who's in control. He has it when you're asleep. He has it when you think you have it. He has it when you're awake. So be still and know that He has it. The world, your world, that He's in control. I started doing this, but I'd encourage you to do the same. Quote Psalm 127.2 to yourself each night before you lay down in bed. In vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat, for He grants sleep to those He loves. What an incredible promise, for he grants sleep to those he loves. Uh, There was a night last week that I kept waking up in the middle of the night, just anxious about all the stuff I had to do, and my mind would just get that kind of hamstering wheel of tasks and overwhelmed and and being anxious and then being angry at myself for not having worked farther enough ahead so I wouldn't be in this spot. And the only way I was able to get back to sleep that night was to claim that promise, to say those words again and again. He grants sleep to those he loves. What about the details for that lunch that aren't done yet? He grants sleep to those he loves. What about that email that I should have sent a week ago? He grants sleep to those he loves. What about that program that we need to launch that's waiting on me for the next step? He grants sleep to those he loves. A day, be still, and cease cease. When you have that knowledge that God's got it, that he's doing it even when you're sleeping, that he's holding it together, then you can cease. You will be able to cease from your work. You'll be able to take a day off. And, and you have to stop to start something else. It's just a natural part of life. You have to stop working like you do every other day to treat one day different. So cease from your normal pattern of working to start something different. And that leads us to D, to delight Because rest isn't just about sleeping or ceasing, that's part of it, but it's also about delighting. And again, if you're in a season maybe of job seeking or raising young kids or retirement, you you know that simply not leaving the house and going to work doesn't mean that you're resting, right? Someone told me once, and it's kind of a joke, but they were also serious. Someone told me once, the hardest part of retirement is that you never get a day off. But there can become that kind of a, if you take out that that work component that kind of shapes your week, that you can get in this pattern of of never making a day different, never setting aside a day of delight and enjoyment. Ceasing is a vital part of rest, but it's not the only part. We also delight and enjoy and celebrate the work of God that he's done in the world, that he's done in our lives, the work that we get to do, the work that we've done. A day of rest is an opportunity to focus on all that God has done. Uh, Candace Padmore, who worked for 12 years for the International Justice Mission, she wrote a, a fantastic uh, devotional in the, in the American Lent devotional, and she, she writes this. She says, it's worth considering why the children of Israel departed Egypt. Why were they set free? 
Yes, slavery is wrong and God detested it. Yes, they were suffering and God was grieved by it. Yes, they were being destroyed and God was moved to rescue them because of it. But God rescues people for one primary reason, to set them free to worship him. To set them free to worship him. God will never overwork you because he has set you free to rest and delight in him and in the world that he has made. So gather with believers at church. Go for a walk. Admire his handiwork. Take a nap. Look back over all that he has allowed you to accomplish in the week and celebrate it as good. This is delightful rest. But you see, these ABCDs of Sabbath, they they will never set you free until you have the deep assurance that the ultimate work is finished. Which brings us to the third reason that God will never overwork you. And that is that Jesus has said, it is finished. When Jesus died on the cross, the last words that he uttered with his final breaths are, it is finished. And you know what's amazing? That phrase, it is finished, is the exact same phrase used in the Greek translation of the Old Testament here in Genesis 2 when God says it is finished. God will never overwork you because he has finished the ultimate work for you. He's declared that it is finished not only in creation, but also in your salvation. Because you see, the real reason that you don't rest isn't that you have too much work to do. It's that you're looking to your work to save you. And let me just tell you, your work is a terrible savior. It's a terrible savior because, one, it can fire you. You can fail at it, and it will always condemn you. Your work will never forgive you. Your work will never let you rest. We don't rest because we're lonely. We don't rest because we're anxious. We're building our lives on our performance, on our kids, on our grades. There's always one more thing to do. The God of workism never says it is good. The God of workism never says it is finished. No, the God of workism says, okay, so you finished that test, what's next? What have you done for me lately? You're only as good as your last accomplishment. We work to try to prove ourselves, to know that we're good. But don't you know, don't you know, brothers and sisters, that Jesus has already declared that in him, because of his forgiveness on the cross, that you are good, you are holy, you are complete, you are finished. You don't have to earn, you don't have to prove yourself to anyone. The God of the universe who made you out of dust and then looked at you and said, behold, you are very good, says to you now in Jesus, in his salvation, that you are finished. It is finished. And that no amount of work you could ever do could add to my love for you. So stop trying to rescue yourself and rest in me. Stop trying to prove yourself and rest. Rest in my love for you. Rest in Christ alone. Saturate yourself in his love. In Christ alone my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song, the cornerstone, the solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace. When fears are stilled and what? When strivings, when strivings cease. My comforter, my all in all, here in the love of Christ, I stand. Let's pray now to the God of rest in whose love we stand. Father in heaven, Jesus, the one 
who declared it was finished. Holy Spirit who indwells us and shapes us and gives us the ability to rest. We pray now that as we receive communion, receive the Lord's Supper, that we would take it and receive it for what it is, that the promise, the assurance, that the work of ultimate work of sin forgiving is done. And as we feast on that promise, would it empower us and fill us to be the rest that the world so desperately needs. In Jesus' name, by the power of His Spirit, amen.